there is no shortage of articles out there written uh, by leadership sites, business sites, resources, all those sorts of things on lonely leadership. See things like how to handle loneliness in leadership. Are you feeling lonely in leadership is another title, what to do about it. Three strategies for preventing loneliness and on and on and on and on and on. And maybe we think about one of the most well-known leaders in American history, none other than Abraham Lincoln. When we think about, um, as more and more study is done on his personal life, about the melancholy in his life that may have been there just sort of naturally as part of his life, but definitely triggered by a lonely place of leadership, trying to hold the union together, uh, leading through the Civil War and all the many challenges. And even though there's the government surrounding him and great advisors and such, you can imagine there is loneliness in that place of leadership. But when you think about today, as we kick off this new sermon series, Lessons in Leadership, as we walk through the Bible and look at biblical characters and what lessons can we see, biblical lessons and biblical leadership can we see from Scripture, the thing that comes to mind is when we look at Noah is loneliness. And as you see from the title today, Noah, lonely but not alone. Now, not loneliness in the sake of an emotional loneliness, but in the sake that he was standing truly alone in his generation. And we'll see that as we continue to walk through this passage today. But when we think about Noah, we think about that lonely leadership, lonely but not alone. Now, when we think about leadership, biblical leadership, leadership that God has called us to, we are living in the midst of a broken world, and that's the type of loneliness that we see can be a part of the, the, the biblical leader, the godly leader leading in our world is that many times we find ourselves, whether it be our place of work, school, for, for some of us that are in school here, some of our teenagers, our, our children that are in school, maybe you feel and you can really feel the heat and the pressure of, of serving and leading in the midst of your school setting, families, uh, schools, clubs, sports teams, whatever it may be, God has placed us, as we so often say, God has placed us specifically in these areas of influence for mission, that we might live on mission for him. But because we live in the midst of a broken world, we too can find ourselves in what we might think is lonely leadership, that we stand all alone. And so we're going to look today at the person of Noah, and we're going to kind of take a survey through these chapters 6, 7, and 8 of the book of Genesis. And as we walk through there, we're going to see what made Noah perfectly attuned for leading in a lonely place. Starting here in verse 5 of chapter 6 of the book of Genesis, it says this, that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart, that's man's heart, was only evil continually. Now, if you know anything about counseling, right? One of the first things they tell you if there's conflict between a husband and wife or whoever it might be, uh, just person to person, which we know is going to be part of life. But one of the first things they tell you is don't use 100% words. Have you ever heard that before, right? Don't use, you always do this, or you never do this, right? Those are 100% words, and rarely is it true, but man, they can really trigger. It kind of puts in frame here really how broken the world was at this time. Listen to these 100% words that God is using. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention, every intention of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. So it really frames the, the, what the world was like at this time, the setting in which Noah was leading as a lonely leader. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. 
So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, and the birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now listen to this. These are the generations of Noah. Listen to these characteristics that we see of Noah, this one who was perfectly called and attuned to leading in this lonely setting. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Here's the thing that we're going to see, very simply but very powerfully. Leading for God can seem lonely. It can. Leading for God can seem lonely, but you are never alone. The reason is, is because the Lord has called you and he is with you. Let's pray as we continue to walk. Lord God, as we walk through your truth this morning, as we look at this biblical truth and the biblical lessons of it, Lord God, we know that if we are called on mission for you, there are going to be times where we feel like we are all alone in whatever setting it is that you've called us to lead for you for the gospel, to speak truth in love into our world, to share the good news, the gospel, the very gospel that we saw celebrated today through baptism. That at times can seem lonely. Now, first of all, God, we know and we know and, and ask you to remind us of the fact and, and help us to see the other believers that are around us in our place of, of work, school, teams, families, neighborhoods. We ask that you'd help us to see the other believers that are there with us and that we might draw encouragement and challenge from one another. But Lord, in the times that we do lead and we are uh, feel alone, help us to re be reminded that we are truly never without you. You walk with us. And God, as we see these characteristics of Noah, of why you called him and how you led him, may we too take these lessons, these biblical leadership lessons to heart in whatever place you've called us to lead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the very first thing that we're going to see today in verses 5 through 8, those that we just read, was the challenge. The challenge. So the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Remember, we talked about that in verse 5. What a way to frame it. I mean, it was a desperate time. And desperate times, as we know, call for desperate measures. And so the Lord in his sovereignty saw fit that he was going to start over, if you will. Start over and bring a great flood. And here's the thing. We, we can find ourselves not in a desperate time like this, maybe, but we will find ourselves wherever God has called us to and whatever mission he's called us to, to, to fulfill and whatever purpose he's called us to fulfill, we can find ourselves again in a lonely, seemingly a place without God. Again, whatever it may be, your context may be different, but you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he has called you to be on mission for him. And you may feel that you're standing all alone on a pedestal or a precipice all alone, but you are there with the Lord. See, there's great darkness on the earth at this time, and we may feel again that a place in which you're called to serve, you feel that there is great darkness surrounding you, but God is still on his throne. No matter, what, no matter how much darkness we may think that we walk in and we serve in, God is still on his throne. But look what it says here, that Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Here's the one thing that we have to remember. Even in the midst of darkness, God only needs one point of light. That's it. He doesn't even need us, but yet he works through us. God only needs one light in the darkness. That's it. And so you may say, gosh, I am by myself. 
I am all alone. I'm trying to walk with integrity for the Lord. I may be, I'm trying to set a good example in my, in, in my friendship group. I'm trying to set a good example at work. God only needs one light in the midst of darkness. And he gives you favor. He gives you grace. You are never truly standing alone. That's the challenge. We see this great challenge here that he was walking in the midst of this darkness, but yet there was this one man, this one person that God sought to reach down to, to groom and to guide, and he sought to call him in leadership, and sought to call him in leading in the midst of darkness. So we see there is a great challenge here, and it may, it, it may not be quite unlike. It might be very similar to something that you've been called to, a great challenge, but here is the thing. Not only do you see the challenge, but we see the walk the walk of Noah that made him a perfect fit for what God had called him to. So again, here are the generations of Noah in verse 9 it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. He had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. And the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Again, it doubles down to painting a really bleak picture. But in the midst of that, again, this one point of light, and we see the walk of Noah that qualified him. He was just, he was perfect, and, it, and he walked with God, we see there in verse 9. There's the qualifications we see. These three qualifications that we see here for that sort of standalone leadership that Noah models. First of all, he was just. Just means that we are living by God's righteous standards. Folks, this even resonates with the lost world, does it not? They may not understand exactly why we're living with justice and we're living fairly and righteously, but even with those that are not sensitive to the Lord, this resonates with the lost world. You may not be liked for all of your decisions, but you'll be known as someone who is just and fair. If we're playing politics and friendship groups, work, whatever it may be, those things will always backfire. We might not always be liked for our decisions, but we will be considered over time just and fair. So first thing, again, we see that Noah was just. It also says that he was perfect. This original word here kind of gets nuance and kind of goes hand in glove with just, but perfect meaning blameless or having integrity. One who is blameless or having integrity, qualified by God, qualified by God, respected by others. And you say, Pastor, well, there's, you know, I would love to lead in this way, but there's issues in my life that I need to fix. I can't say that I can walk in this way like Noah did because there's issues in my life I need to fix. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but there's something that I need to give over to him. Well, here's the thing, then give it over to him. Give it over to him. Let God fix it. It's not a matter of, of sort of pulling yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps. Give it to the Lord and let God fix it. If you have issues that God needs to fix, let him fix it. Just, perfect, that it says is the second thing. And then third, Noah walked with God. What does it mean when we see this concept of walking with God throughout the scripture? It means an intimate relationship developed by focusing on God and his truth. That's how we daily and consistently walk with God. Consistently walk with God. I love the, uh, the author A.W. Tozer, and here's what he says. The goal of every Christian is to live in a state of unbroken worship. To live in a state of unbroken worship. Now, you might sound, think that sounds sort of ethereal and monk-like and you know, uh, just something that's sort of for the high-minded person, but what does the Bible say in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? 
It says that our spiritual offering, our spiritual sacrifice, is offering up our bodies daily unto the Lord, and by extension, our lives. It means that when we come here to worship through song or through the reading of God's word or prayer, as we've said many times before, this is an outpouring of how we should be living our lives daily. We should be offering up our lives unto God. And so we should be living in a constant state of worship, unbroken worship unto God, that we put our feet on the floor in the morning and we say, God, this day is yours. This day is yours. I'm going to live by the truth of your word. When I face the first decision of my day, I'm going to say, what would God have me do here? What's the right thing? What would God have me to do? And guess what? Even if it's difficult, even if it's tough, even if all my friends are telling me to do something different, even if the way I've lived my life forever, I've done it this way, and it's really hard for me to trust God and do it his way, I'm going to do it. The next decision that comes, I'm going to do it God's way. The next decision that comes, I'm going to do do it God's way. And you're going to see over the course of your day, your week, your month, your life, that you are going to continue to walk with God and develop that intimate relationship that comes from focusing on him and his truth. Walking with God, just, perfect. He walked with God. What do we get from it? We develop integrity by walking with God. Guess what we also develop? We develop just general leadership skills of walking with him. We develop courage. Courage is a tremendous part of leading in life in general and leading for the Lord. And again, as I mentioned, we develop those leadership skills. If you were with us a couple of sermon series ago, we walked through the book of Proverbs, right? Incredible practical wisdom that we walk through in the book of Proverbs. And you think about that, and we said it in the midst of this, uh, that sermon series. If you could perfectly live out the book of Proverbs, think about how well you would be living life. That almost sounds like a, a kind of a dumbed-down way of saying it. It doesn't mean that, that life will be perfectly smooth. There won't be potholes in life. Even, again, again, we live in the midst of a broken world. There are going to be potholes in life. But think about if we were to perfectly live out the book of Proverbs, Think about how smooth life would be with unnecessary difficulty. Difficulty will come in life, certainly. And think about the leadership skills that we develop, about how to work with people, how to deal with people, how to live godly in the midst of an ungodly world. When we walk with the Lord, when we develop that relationship with Him and intimacy by focusing on Him and His truth, integrity, courage, leadership skills. So how do we do it? How do we do it? You know, I've told you this before, there is no great secret, there's no great aha moment, but it is a matter of continually, daily spending time in his word. That's the first thing. You see, this isn't just kind of a a collection of legends and fairy tales that we get and we kind of put it up there with other works of literature and such. This is the truth of God. This is his heart poured out unto us. This is his story of redemption, and this is his guide of truth for our lives. We are to walk with him daily in his word. Carve out time daily. Make it a priority. We all have something that takes first priority of which we schedule everything else around. Would you reorient your day so that you schedule your day around spending time with him? What if that means, you know, getting to bed about half hour earlier so that you get up a half hour earlier? And I know some of you have very early schedules. Would that be a possibility? Go to bed half hour earlier, so you get up a half hour earlier. Get your coffee, sit down with your Bible, spend time with God. Maybe your schedule doesn't allow for it that way. Is there another time uh, in your day where you can carve that out and give that to, to, to the Lord? Talk with your family and say, you know what? 
This is going to be a little different for everybody because I might have to go take about a half hour to myself. It's going to be a little strange, but it's worth it. Carve out that time to spend time with him. Spend time with him in prayer. We're not, we're not walking up a mountain, kind of burning incense and hoping that some sort of uh, being out there might hear our prayers. God tells us if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, that veil has been torn, we can come into the very presence of God and he hears our prayers. He doesn't just hear the prayers of those that you might consider very important or world leaders. He hears your prayers. Walk with him in Bible study, prayer, and then guess what we do? We follow him in obedience. We listen to his word, we take it in, we live by it, and we walk with him in obedience. Prayer, Bible study, obedience, and walking with other believers. You know what? If you don't have a discipleship relationship with somebody... And what I mean by that is that a group, of an intimate group, that you can, you can share your thoughts, your struggles, you can walk through the Word with, and that you can see God change your life in that way. Can I challenge you to find a group, a group of believers in which you can walk through distinct discipleship with? So we see the challenge, the walk, and then the call. The call. Think about this. What God calls him to do in the midst of this difficult situation. Then God said to Noah, verse 13 of chapter 6. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the world is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out. Skipping down to verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, your sons, your wife, uh, and your son's wife with you, and every living thing of flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, birds according to their kinds, the animals according to their kinds, every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every short sort shall come with you, and you shall keep them alive. And also take with you all the food that's eaten, store it up for yourself, food and your food for them. Noah did all, and Noah did all, that was commanded for him. Make yourself an ark. We've heard this story, many of us that have grown up in church, enough times that the punch of this, the, 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 the seriousness of this, the craziness of this can be lost on us, right? He says, I am going to be, bring destruction on the earth with water filling the earth. And he says, so make yourself an ark. Listen to this. God will lead you to do something. When he's called you to lead, he will call you to do something and lead beyond your capabilities. He will. Now you say to yourself, I'm not a leader. I don't feel like a natural leader. You know, I, I know leaders, and there's people that are clearly leaders, and I'm not one of them. Folks, listen to this. Whether you think you're in a leadership position that is great or small or anywhere in between, you are called to be a leader. It is absolutely a truth of life and it's absolutely a truth of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, yes, some people are going to have a larger footprint of leadership, certainly. But there is no one, there is no believer in Jesus Christ that is exempt from leadership. You may say, I don't have the temperament, I don't have the personality for it, it's just not really what I'm cut out for. Yes, but there are going to be times, even if it is on a relatively small scale, you are going to be asked to lead. Because here's the thing. Even in challenges that seem small, God needs spiritual giants. And you say, well, once again, that is not me. I've read stories about spiritual giants. 
I've read these, these great biographies of Christian leaders in the past, and that is not me. Again, I've got many challenges that I need to give over to the Lord. Well, get, surrender it to him. Give it over to him. And no, you might not be someone of which the stuff of books is written about, but you are called to lead, and you are an absolutely intricate, important part of God's gospel story. You are an important part of God's mission on the earth. We all question ourselves about why in the world would God use me? Oftentimes, we question ourselves about why would God use us, us together collectively as flawed human beings, even though we're saved and we're redeemed. Why would God use us as the primary plan, his plan A with no plan B of reaching the world? But God in his sovereignty uses us. We see this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and other places, that he uses the things of, that seem foolishness to the world to bring challenge to those that are wise because he receives the glory. But here's the great promise. When you're called to lead and lead in an unusual way that is way beyond yourself and something that makes you question, what in the world am I doing here? We know that even those small challenges, God needs spiritual giants, and yes, you can be one. And guess what? God protects and he provides. He does. He protects and he provides. Now, that doesn't mean that the journey of whatever he calls you to do and the journey of leadership is always just going to be smooth and lacking potholes, as we talked about earlier. You know, oftentimes it's going to seem more like, you know, kind of roads going down to Oklahoma than it is like on our nice Kansas turnpikes, right? It's going to seem a lot like that. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Sometimes that's what it's going to seem like when you're called. That's what the road of leadership may seem like. But God will always be there to protect and to provide for you. But think about this incredible challenge. Again, we just look at the context here, the second part of chapter 6 and continuing into chapter 7. When it talks about this ark, and in verse 11 of chapter 7, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, all the fountains of the deep burst forth and the windows of heaven were opened. So water rising from, from the earth and water coming down in rain. And rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Verse 18, the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily that the earth, that all the mountains were covered under the, uh, under the whole heaven, and the whole heavens were covered. We see just this incredible uh, downfall of rain and this downpour of rain. But in the midst of it, God called Noah to do something again back in chapter 6 that just seemed an unusual and incredible, an ark. 510 feet, we see when we look at the measurements here of a cubit being about 18 inches, around 510 feet, uh, one and a half football fields. It, you, could, you could place three of the space shuttles end to end there on top of the, on top of the ark, four stories tall, 400, the, the space, the storage space of 450 semi-trailers. And you say, well, you know, there have been many attempts throughout history to poke holes in the midst of uh, in the midst of this account of the flood. People will say, well, there's flood myths all over the earth in great accounts of, histor of history throughout the, throughout the history of the world. We see flood myths all over the world. I don't think that's something that, that negates what we see here, but why would we see this similar story with differences here and there all over the world? It's probably not, a, a, it's probably not an argument against, but an argument for Flood myths all over the world. Also, we see things like fossils buried on top of mountains. Fossils, the types of which you see only buried under and buried because of large bodies of water compacted and brought to those areas. 
that types of fossils that we only see in other areas clearly underwater. Many, many, uh, many, many arguments for it we see. 510 feet, a football field and a half long, three space shuttles, four stories tall, 450 semi-trailers of space. What an incredible undertaking and call God gave to Noah. The only reason that he could get this done is because of the one. The one. And when we say the one here, it is one, almost capital O, if you will, that one being God. And Chapter 8, verse 1, look at the very first word, at least in my translation, the very first word and the second word as well, but God. But God. Some of the greatest stories and some of the greatest um, uh, thoughts and some of the greatest initiatives that we see in all of Scripture start with those two words, but God. But God. But God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. God will not call you to something and then forget you. He will not call you, then forget you. You know, God is the only person, and this was a powerful, a powerful thing for, for many youth when I worked with youth for years, for some youth that came from difficult family situations to understand. But man, when they got this and they believed the truth of this, man, it was life-changing. God is the only person who will never let you down. God is the only person who will never let you down. We as parents love our kids, and we would do anything for our kids, but we are still flawed human beings. We will let our kids down at times. God is the only person that will never, ever let us down. Now, again, it doesn't mean that things are going to be without difficulty. We still live in the midst of a broken world, and God calls us to tremendous challenges. But God will not call you, then forget you. God does not say, you know, we love to think, we love to cook with, uh, with, with slow cookers in our house, crock pots in our house at times when the schedule is busy, you can put it there in the morning and what is the, the theme of the crock pot? Set it and forget it, right? Set it and forget it. We think sometimes maybe is this what God has done with us? He's called us to something, but then he's left us alone to just kind of do it on our own. Not at all. God will never call you, then forget you. But it might come with difficulty. It might come with challenges. We've said this many times before, and it's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to write it down. We've said this many times before because it is so applicable to whatever it is that we're walking through. God is more concerned with your maturity than he is with your comfort. God is more concerned with your maturity than he is with your comfort. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he is trying to conform you daily to be more and more like Jesus Christ, more and more like his son. If you, have, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven and cleansed, born again. You are righteous in all of your ways, but practically daily, he is conforming you more and more to that truth of your life, to the person of Jesus Christ. And the way that happens is oftentimes putting us in situations of difficulty, asking us to lead in situations that are uncomfortable so that we have nothing else to do but to turn to him and cling to him and say, God, help me, help me. But God remembered Noah. And God, it says then, that not only did he remember Noah, but he made the wind pass over. And this is where we begin to see those waters recede. What does it remind us of? That God is still sovereign on his throne. He won't call us and then forget about us, and we can rest assured in that because he is sovereign and he is still on his throne. A little bit later in the verse, we see here, in fact, or a little bit later in the chapter, as Noah sends out a dove 
to check and see if there's dry land. And the dove came back in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Again, reminding us that not only did, did God call, cause the waters to recede, but he had sovereignly caused life to grow again. He promises and he provides. He promises and he provides. And as we see this narrative coming to a close in verse 20, what do they do when things are restored and when Noah comes and, 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 and life is, begins to go back as normal as possible? We see here in verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and offered every clean bird and offered the burnt offerings upon the altar. If you're to dig back a little bit further, back into chapter 6 and 7, you'll see not only were there uh, certain animals that were called two by two, but there were also certain animals, those clean animals that we see, ones that were for special purpose unto God, that he asked for seven of those to be brought. Seven of those to be brought. And so these were truly special animals and were truly going to be a sacrifice for them. Not only a sacrifice unto the Lord, but it is a first act of obedience because these animals were special. And what did they do? God called them to give sacrifice. What did they do? They didn't just give God of the secondary. They gave God their best. They gave God their best. You see, when we're called to lead for the Lord, we have to give him our best. We have to give him our best. And we have to know that it's not a matter of we sort of give him the secondary, we keep back our best, we give him our best, and we are reminded that he protects and he provides. There's one more thing I want to draw our attention to here before we close, and it is kind of found here in this section about sacrifice. The, when Noah and those with him stepped from the ark and they sacrificed unto the Lord, it was a reminder that their protection, their provision, their salvation was from the Lord. You see, we see threads of the gospel, threads of the good news of Jesus Christ throughout all of Scripture. And right here, we see it in the, in, in, in the story of Noah. We see it in the ark. We see it in this uh, method of salvation. We see it in this, uh, in, in this salvation of the Lord, even in the midst of, 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 of judgment and wickedness. We see that God saved his people. Folks, listen to this. All those years ago, all those years ago, the wooden ark brought salvation to few. But when you fast forward, many years later, when you look at the person of Jesus Christ hanging upon the cross, the wooden ark saved a few, but the wooden cross of Jesus Christ saved many. What about you? Today we celebrated baptism, the life of a young one who is changed by the cross of Jesus Christ, the salvation of Jesus Christ. What about you? Have you given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord God, as we think about, as we begin this sermon series on biblical leadership, when we look at these qualifications of Noah for standing alone, just, righteous, walking with you, Lord, we pray that whatever you call us to do, may we live those things out. May we daily walk with you in obedience, even when it's difficult, even when we feel like we're swimming upstream, when we're walking a different way. And may we remember that you never, ever leave us alone. But God, I can't help but think as we begin to wrap up that narrative there that we see in 
the Old Testament, it talks about the sacrifice and it is a reminder again of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Salvation was brought to few to the wooden ark, but through the wooden cross of Jesus Christ, many might come into salvation. And we pray today, Lord, for those that are sitting with us here. God, maybe for many, you've been speaking to them for months, maybe even years. Maybe it's a shorter time than that. You've been speaking with them in the last few days and drawing them unto yourself. Maybe you've been helping them to question what they, what they trusted in, what they believed in, putting faith in themselves, putting faith in their own ability to make things right with you. But God, would they come unto your son, Jesus Christ? Would they come to him and realize that I no longer can do it, I can't save myself? The Lord, would they accept his salvation and sacrifice and surrender their life unto him? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.